Good morning, can you hear me? Got some trouble today, you've got a volley speaking to you, eh? Put your safety belts on. Thank you, Nick and Cutty. Thank you, eldership team. It's really been a delight to be with you. I've uh, been looking forward to this weekend for a long time. Uh, it's been a long time since we've done this, and uh, we really consider it a privilege, uh, an awesome privilege. Um, before I any, go any further, there's a guest of honor here today, and his name is Jesus. I just want to start just honoring him. You know, his presence won't go where he's not honored. And like Moses would say, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. And even in sharing a word that's in my heart, unless his presence is here and goes with, it's just words. But when we honor him, uh, his presence will come. And it will change us deep on the inside like nothing else can. And um, that's my prayer this morning. Jesus, be honored. Holy Spirit, be welcomed. Come and do what you, only you can do. Jesus' name. So Nick and Cutty, uh, I want to say thanks to Redpoint Church and thanks to this eldership team. I know I said that on Friday night, but thank you for releasing them. You know, as much as they mean to you guys in a local context, they do to us in a translocal context. And uh, Ephesians 4 gifts are needed for the church to grow and build itself up and you know that thing of uh, the gifts are given for edification of the body, not of self, and so your gift won't work on you. It's meant to be given away to someone else, and that's why we need community. And gifts like this into the context of our church is vitally necessary for us to grow and mature and for the kingdom to expand and for, for people's lives to be changed and for the church to become healthy and strong. And uh, thank you for releasing them. Thank you for sending them. Thank you for giving your money so they can go and uh, continue to do that so they can go more uh, because their gift is needed and uh, just honor you guys, really, really do. Um, you don't realize even sometimes just in a brief conversation the, the, the impact it is when we're constantly gleaning, uh, we're constantly picking up bits and pieces and Nick's a very prophetic man and so you've got to listen carefully. Uh, years ago I had a word for him which I don't know if you can remember. Ah, hi, Bo. Yup. It's getting old, eh? <laughs> so all of us, Nick, don't worry. But it was one of those old gramophone players. You know the ones? And the name was His Master's Voice. And I said, Nick, you like that thing to me. It's like you put a vinyl down, and it's got this little needle that runs in the minutest little grooves. And just picks up the vibrations and then through that speaker speaks them. And to me, that's Nick. He picks up the fine nuances of the Holy Spirit. And uh, even in seemingly insignificant conversations, Nick, we glean and take. So, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Redpoint. Um, good. I want to speak to you this morning about Waymaker. Um, there's a slide that I've brought. And... Uh, there's a bunch of slides, so I hope you can follow them. But Waymaker, Waymaker, it's who we serve, isn't it? And I think sometimes we can default to the big events, like when we're really in trouble. It's true, He will make a way. 
He'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can handle. He'll make a way, always. Look in Scripture, the big moments like crossing of the Red Sea or the Jordan are big events. But there's a whole lot more to that than just big events. There's our life and your life, and He makes a way. And uh, the Scripture I want to share on this morning is a simple one, John 4, 16. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I think sometimes we stop there, but the key part of that is no one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and He takes us on a journey to the Father. He makes a way for us to access this loving Heavenly Father that loved us so much. That's probably one of the most controversial statements you could say in the world today. You agree with me? Wars have been fought and still are currently being fought around religion and religious differences. And I think it's born from men's absolute fascination with finding a way to God. And so religions have been born over years and decades around people saying, we have found the way to God or the way to access God. And if you look at them very briefly, Buddhism is a life of suffering where you're taught to embrace suffering. And physical is bad and spiritual is good. And suffering comes with the physical. And so the more you lay down your life and detach yourself from physical things, the more spiritual you'll become. And the thing you'll see common in all of these things is there's cause and effect. There's something you need to do, and then you get a benefit for it. It's, it's a way of doing. It's a, it's, a, it's a process in a sense. Islam is about obedience. It's all about obedience, just obeying the law. External things, to be seen, to be doing right things. We went years ago to Bahrain. Uh, we had a friend who has a church there, and we went and ministered in his church. And uh, it was fascinating because Saudis across the causeway, and... Uh, the law for them states that they may not drink or they may not be promiscuous or they may not indulge in all sorts of other profanities and other things within the territory of their country. As soon as they go out across the causeway to Bahrain, it's free for all. They can do what they want. See, there's no internal change in the life. It's all about external uh, appearing to be right. And so we'll wear white robes so that externally I look like I am pure and holy. And so again, it's a way. Hinduism is about uh, rituals, and it's about a cyclical life that you pass on from one life to the next. And when you crack it, when you get it right, then you'll stop the cycles and you'll go on to be with God. And that's what uh, Hinduism is about. And Judaism, as we all know, is about obedience to the law and keep going and keep going. But all of them are about reward, and it, it comes down to a transactional relationship, doesn't it? If I, then he. And so we get into a reality of God or a God in the context of some where it's just transactional. In Christianity, sadly, it's very much the same, isn't it? If you look at the amount of sects and uh, diversions and, and, and denominations and everyone claims to have the way. You've got to do it this way or that way and the Baptists will tell you there's a way and the Methodists, and, and, and maybe the, the differences are slight, but they are different ways, and they will, we will we'll tend to, as human beings, fight for what we believe is right, don't we? And so we'll stand up for that thing, and we'll fight, and as I said, wars have been fought over these things. But that's not what Scripture says. Jesus says, I am the way. 
Forget all these things. Forget all your processes. Forget all these ways of doing. I am the way, and I want to look at a couple of those. And when he says, I am the way, is it like a method? Is it like I've got to figure out how this thing works, and if I crack, crack it, I will be successful? I think the prosperity gospel went and sat right in the middle of that thing. You know, it's like uh, if I do certain things, then the blessing of God will come into my life. We've made it a method. Christianity is a method. Or maybe a lingo or a recipe or what ingredients to mix in and bake for however long you bake stuff, and then it'll come out right. And so some of us think that Christianity is that. You've got to find the method, find the ways, and do it correctly, a particular procedure. Or is it like a particular style, distinctive appearance externally? Different religions of the world will have different dress codes and ways. Some have smoky handbags. Some have all sorts of beads and stuff they do. You've got to go through rituals, rituals, rituals. And all of them believe that it takes you to God. Mannerisms. Have you seen mannerisms? Uh, there's a guy called Neville Norden who planted a church called Levende Wurt in Pretoria. Uh, and Neville was a um, world bodybuilding champion. But through his bodybuilding, he had broken his finger. So it's like this. And in worship, always Neville would stand like this. And so you find members in the congregation all start worshiping like this. It's like when the holy oak does this, then that means we're going to find God. I hope you get what I'm saying. It's like we, we have such a propensity to want to go after these external ways of, of trying and doing. What's the formula? What's, you know, some people say, well, it's about fasting and praying and going to church. Well, actually, it's the wrong way around. Because it starts with Jesus Christ, and because of that, then you can get into fasting and praying and go to church. You don't get to Him by doing that. You go to Him first. It's not a process. Is it a pathway? And the thing about pathways to me is that pathway is kind of dutifully following where someone else has gone. Christianity is not that. It's not following someone else. It's following the person of Jesus Christ, and He will take you on a journey and go for a walk with you. So Jesus says, I am the way. And the way starts with the gospel, friends. And the gospel is good news, not good advice. It's good news. It's a declaration of what's been done for you and me through Him, His perfect work on the cross. It's not good advice for self-betterment of my life so that I can fulfill the process that I believe it is. No, it's a person, and it starts with the gospel. And for us to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, that His work is complete, Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Our salvation, our, our sanctification is a gift that's given to you. Do nothing for it. He did it and it's perfect and it's absolutely complete. And that's the starting point of Jesus' ministry in our lives. But the thing is, redemption is a whole lot more than just salvation, isn't it? Redemption comes and changes your life. It starts with the gospel. It starts with you accepting Jesus Christ. It starts with you coming to a re realization and a revelation of who He truly is. But then it goes on a journey. And redemption comes to your life and to your family. And it starts to have a generational blessing in your life. And you'll have generational influence and, and inheritance because you are serving Him. There's that old story. Uh, it's not in my notes, but... Max Jukes was that guy who, who uh, I mean, they did a comparison between two people, one who served God and one who didn't. And years later, they did a comparison of their, 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 their family lines, their family tree. 
Jonathan Edwards and Max Jukes is the comparison. Don't look it up. I won't go into that. But it's remarkable to see someone, simple man, served God, served God his whole life, okay, devoted himself to Christ and his purposes, went on the journey of God. What happened in generations to come? That's redemption. You see, sometimes we want to take salvation and pitch our tent there and stay there. There's a whole lot more to it. There's a life to be lived, and He'll come and challenge and change you and form and fashion you, give you a hope and a future and inheritance for all of us. Is that okay? Like Abraham, go on a journey. The great adventure that I, I love to talk about starts with accepting the gospel. But then stay there. Go on the journey. It's an absolute journey of adventure. Your life will never be the same again. Anyway, Jesus said, I am the truth. The work there is, I try to look up the pronunciation, and I'm not Greek, so forgive me. It sounds like Aletheia, but that's an English name, but it's Aletheia. Sounds like. How's that for you Greek scholars? <clears throat> that simply means a reality opposed, as opposed to illusion. So Jesus comes and he says, I am the truth. Proverbs 18, 14, sorry, 18 to 19, talks about foolish dreamers that live in a world of illusion. Doesn't that resemble the world we live in? Foolish dreamers. Illusion is a distorted reality, and don't we live in that? An example is like when you take a pencil and put it in a glass of water. If you look where the, where the pencil, where the water line is, it looks like the pencil's broken. You ever seen that? It's not broken, it's whole, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's an illusion and that's what we can get into. And the point is this, that without the truth, without the plumb line of truth, without Jesus Christ who is truth, we get into illusion and the world in which we live gets into these illusions. And when I grew up, certainly our schools every morning, the scriptures used to be read and there used to be prayer and honoring Jesus. And today that's been removed, and then we wonder why we live in a world of illusion with LGBT and everything else that goes on in our world. People actually believe that that is a reality because we remove the truth. I am the life, he said. Greek word is zoe, there's zoe, zoe, whatever. The life of God, John 1, 1 to 4. Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing came into being without Him. What came into existence was life. And the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness, and darkness cannot contain it. That's the Christ we serve. Amen. He is the source of life. In other words, where everything started, that's what this Scripture is saying. He is the essence of life. In other words, it starts with it. He sustains it. And He is eternal life. He is life. And He will be life to you. He will sustain you and take you on to everything that God dreams of in and through your life. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus said, I'll lead you to the Father. What an amazing thought. And I think so often we forget that. You see, Jesus is not the goal. He's the way. And we find, especially where we come from, People want to know, oh, it's me and Jesus. We don't need church. We don't need anything else. It's just me and Jesus. When we make Jesus the goal, you miss the point. 
He's going to take you on a journey. He's going to change your life. He's going to, like Abraham, take you to a, a city without foundation, which actually is Jesus. Fascinating that, isn't it? God says to Abraham, I'll go to a place I will show you. And you go read his story. He went to many different geographical places. But in the end, that's what he saw. Jesus. It's not a place. It's a person. Is that okay? Anyway, lead you to the Father. Jesus is the way. He's a road maker, in other words. A road maker to the Father. He goes ahead and makes and shows the way for your life and mine to access the Father and all the Father has for you and me. So what do road builders do? Thought about that? The answer is in Scripture. It's not in engineering manuals. It's pretty simple. It says this. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain shall be brought low. And the crooked ways shall become straight. And the rough places plains. You seen that? That's what road builders do. And so that's the reality. The road of your life and my life, he's going to build a road with us. And he's going to build it to the Father. And the Father is love. God is love. And so the love he's speaking of there is a reciprocal love. And it depends on what you see, isn't it? You'll only go somewhere where you see. And if you go, we sang the song this morning and I had tears in my eyes. Thank you. I see the Lord. Isaiah 6. Seated on the throne. You see, all of us have a picture of him. Who is he to you? Is he the Christ of Christmas, the baby in the manger with the sheep? Is he the Christ on the cross who's going to die for your salvation? Or is he the resurrected one? Who is he to you? Or is he, I see the Lord seated on the throne, glorified, magnificent, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. Do you see him? And it says the foundations shook, Isaiah said. And fascinating there, there's a journey. Because he says, the seraphim flew around and declared, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he realized how pitiful he was. And he says, woe am I. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live amongst people of unclean lips. And the angel flew with a coal from the from the throne and touched his lips and says, your guilt is forgiven and your sin is taken away. Can you see salvation there? But then he says, who will go? Who can I send? And he says, send me. You see, it's the same picture. There's a journey. Who will go where? Who will go on the journey with him? Who will allow the road maker into your life to come and build a road to the Father for you so that you can get to Agape? which is really contained in the Great Commission, isn't it? A place where we can truly say, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, spirit, and strength. That's the journey He's taking us on. And you'll say, well, I'm not there. It's okay. Jesus is gracious. It's like training wheels. Any of you have training wheels as a kid? I certainly did. Didn't have great balance, so had, had to have them. But it's like he puts them on and he'll come alongside and he'll be close and he'll be right in there with you, bolted to you as it were, and he'll say, come on, let's go and ride. And as you get confidence, as you grow in strength, he'll take one off and then you lean a bit over and then you carry on riding and then when you're ready, he'll take the wheels off. That's the gracious Jesus. That's the journey he will take you on to the Father. Principles in that is no condemnation. There's no condemnation in you. 
there will be a conviction, which is a very, I have found in my life, a very gentle, slow persuasion. You know, it's the grace of God that teaches me to say no to sin and ungodliness, not rules and regulations. But you've got to embrace that grace and you've got to allow Him into the space of your heart and life. And then He'll start to make these changes with the training wheels. And it's okay if you make mistakes. Nowhere in Scripture does it require perfection from any of us. But keep going, keep going. The road builder, what does he do? Brings the mountains high. So what are the mountains in our lives? It's the high places. We got high places? It's our pride, our arrogance, our overconfidence and self-importance. Do you have any of that? Yeah, sneaks up on all of us, doesn't it, eh? It's in there, and it tends to be there. Our high and lofty opinions. Have you had some of those? Tell you what I've learned through life and life smacking me that uh, don't trust your opinions too much because they change. As you grow and mature and gain revelation of who Christ is and who His bride is and what He's busy with, uh, things change. Don't hold on too much, but he'll, he'll take our arrogance and pride and He'll bring it down. He'll make it level. That's what roads do. Matthew twenty twenty six. you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be a servant. See, it's an upside-down kingdom. In the world we want to go... We push and barge and shove and climb on people and, and defraud them and do anything we can to get to the top in God's kingdom, the way up the way down. And so you want to be great, become the servant of all. James 4.10, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up in due time. That's what it's about. The high places in our lives He will bring down. The valleys, what are the valleys? Our low places, our depression, our lack of self-belief, our skewed opinions about ourselves. You know, Bob Mumford has this thing which I absolutely love. He speaks about God's inviting us into the living room of His house. Come and be with the Father in the living room. He doesn't want you living in the attic. The attic's the high place, isn't it? It's kind of where we have opinions when you get super spiritual. You know, the oaks that get so heavenly minded that they earthly useless or however that thing goes. You know, that's and some of us want to live in the basement all the time. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not. Can I tell you something? Get over yourself. You're not. Jesus is. You don't have to be. Your acceptance is through Him and what He did and His life, not your own. So stand and build on that foundation and come out of the basement and live in the living room of the house of the Father. That's where He's calling us to. Gain a biblical identity. Learn to live by faith. He'll not allow me to live in the basement. He's calling us into the living room. Then it speaks about our crooked ways. Crooked ways. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. See, our natural ways, our natural bias. Have you ever played bowls? You roll that thing and it's got a bias. It just goes one way. You turn it then goes the other way. We all have a bias and it's not towards God. Our natural human humanity is not there. Be transformed, though, by the renewing of our minds. Let His Word get into us and change what we think and how we think. Uh, that's about straightening the crooked ways. See, Romans 3.10 says, you go astray in your hearts because you do not know my ways. 
And uh, astray is someone that just moves away. It says moves away aimlessly from a group or for whatever is the right course of life. And so you find people in our city at the moment, there's a pandemic of, of divorce. Christian people married 30 years, 35 years, suddenly they will get to the opinion that it's God's purpose and plan for their lives to be divorced. Gone astray. See, if we don't stay in the Word, if we don't stay in community, you're going to go astray. It's how it works. Stay. He will straighten out your crooked ways. Family, it's meant to mature you. You know that? And as much as a natural family with all the bumps and warts and different opinions that brothers and sisters have and you argue and you fight, it's meant to shape you and change you. It's the same with the household of God, the family of God. It's meant to change you and challenge you. It's meant to grow you and mature you. That's what it's all about. The rough places. What are my rough places? My anger. My prickliness. Any of you ever been prickly? I certainly have. You know, we get offended somewhere. And uh, we can get prickly about leadership. The fact that God will use human beings to lead you in phases of your life. We get prickly about that. But then we go back to the high place. And he says, no, 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 I want to take that down. And then when he does that, we want to go into depression. And he's saying, no, 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 my boy, come into the living room. I want you in the living room. I don't want you in the basement. You're my son. Amen? You get that? My rough places. 2 Corinthians three seventeen, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is liberty. You know, there is freedom in obedience. You know that? But the analogy is there is a kite. Kites want to dance on the winds of the sky. But without something anchoring them to the ground, they will flutter and crash and burn. And we're all like that. But kites and people who are like that want to argue with the string. You're inhibiting me. You, you're holding me back. I want to go further. I want to go higher. I want to go... Get that? The bigger the kite, the bigger the potential of the kite, the higher it's meant to fly, the stronger the anchor needs to be to hold that thing in the air. All of us need that. Rough places. The roadmaker will deal with all of these. Agape love is a reciprocal love. It's because I see the Lord that I reciprocate, that I say, Lord, I want to give up my life to serve you. I want to allow you to come and build that road. I want to give you free access to my high places, to my, my valleys, to my crooked ways. Love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind. What does that mean? All my heart. Let me read this to you. It's from the message. It's 1 John 2, 15, 17. It says, Do not love the world's ways. Do not love the world's goods. The love of the world squeezes out the love of the Father, particularly everything that goes on in the world, wanting your own way, wanting everything for yourself, wanting to appear important, has nothing to do with the Father. It just isolates you from Him. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on its way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Our heart speaks about what you love. Allow Him. He will take you on a journey to that place. 
Remember, as I said, through no condemnation, He will take you on a journey where you'll find, I'm loving you more, I'm loving you more. What's my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions? The mind is the battlefield, isn't it, so often, where I think I'm not good enough. But allow the Word of God to speak to you in that and grab a hold of what the Word of God is saying and build confidence on that. That's the essence of faith. And let God's Word arise in our hearts and change your mind, your will. God's given us a free will. Give it back. Give it back. Bond slaves, that's what bond slaves did. They were slaves who were bought. They got to a place where the master set them free to go and be free. But they chose to go back and they had a stake put through their ear. They chose to go and serve there for the rest of their life. That's what we do when we give our will back to God. You know, sometimes we want to get saved and then number on my will. I want to hold on to it. I still want to do what I want to do. The waymaker will flatten that because that's a high place. Give him my emotions. Don't let them run free. All my strength. I'm nearly done. What's that mean? Tell you what, I can't be an observer. You can't go on this journey to the Father and be an observer. You can't be part of the crowds that I spoke about Friday morning. There's a very big difference between crowds and disciples. And if you go and look in Scripture, often you'll see the comparison, the many and the few. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I've done all these things in your name. Away from me, the few. Many are called, few are chosen. 600,000 besides women and children left Egypt with the same promises, the same God, the same circumstances, everything, two entered. Why is there that comparison? Because we don't want to go on a journey. We want to camp and put up our tent under salvation at the grace of God, which is true and amen and yes, we are saved through Him and through His grace. But go on the journey to love the Father with all your heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Because therein lies the utter fulfillment that you're so desperately yearning for in your own life. The things you try and use externally to try and fill that can only be found in and through Him. I need to be a participator. Your roadmaker will come and he'll flatten your mountains and fill up your valleys, straighten our crooked roads and rub off the rough edges so that we can get to a place where we can truly say, I'm yours, I'm yours. Hebrews 12.2 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Isn't that true? Fix your eyes. How do you fix something? Something that's broken? You go and set it. And set your eyes on Him and only Him. Because He's the author and finisher. The story of life, the story of mankind, which is found in the Scriptures, the author of that is Jesus. Your life and my life, before He knew you, before you were born, he knew you. Before you were born, He consecrated you, set you aside for purpose. Life has purpose in Him. Redemption brings us back to those designed purposes of God in our life. And through this process of building a road to the Father, we'll go and achieve those things, friends. Is that okay? 
the author, he wrote the story and he'll finish the story. Gospel is a free gift, but it's expensive. Don't camp at grace. I thought about this one day. It's like saying I'm going to go on a journey to Cape Town. And I take my tent and my camper van, and we go, and the first signboard that I find along the N1 that says, Cape Town, put my tent up there, and I camp there. I say, what are you doing? No, I'm at Cape Town. It's like the grace message. It's the start. It's the foundation. Christ comes, and Scripture says, He's laid a foundation. No one can build on that foundation other than Him. And so allow Him in you to come and lay a new foundation and build upon it. Grab and embrace the gospel. Grab, grab and embrace the reality of Jesus Christ. But allow the road builder into your heart, into your life, to take you on a wonderful journey of discovery to loving the Father. Amen.